it's uh, it's always about paying attention to what we have to talk about in these in these classes and our practice in these rooms and what the Buddha taught. It's about mindfulness. It's about paying attention, and um, and the different ways we pay attention, the different ways we bring our awareness to our experience and the experience of the world and how we relate to the world. It's really in, in how we suffer and how others suffer and um, how we struggle and how we end that suffering, that, that suffering that's unnecessary that we kind of create for ourselves. And uh, I was listening, I want to give props to Guy Armstrong, who is a teacher up in, um, at Spirit Rock. And uh, he, I listened to a Dharma talk of his this week, and I got a lot out of it. And what I want to talk about is, um, uh, is the, 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 I guess the title of the talk is Guarding the Sense Doors. And I remember the first few times I heard it, I thought it was sense doors. It's, <laughs> it's doors, you know, the sense doors. And I'm like, what is that? So it's the sense, the doors, that sets the the doorway through which we receive uh, experience. There are, are, in Buddhism, there's six senses. There's the sight, sound, taste, touch, um, smell, and then thought, and mind, object, thoughts, and emotions are the sixth sense in Buddhism, which are just as important, is just as important as the rest, and sometimes um, have a, a major role in how we show up in the world. So this talk I was listening to, um, from Guy Armstrong, he was ta- he t- he called his talk "Unentangled Knowing," and basically it was about disentangling our minds because our minds are this tangle of conditioned thoughts and ideas and um, messages we've received culturally, familially, um, just through walking down this walking around in the world. I mean, I had one handed to me this week. I, I was watching a baseball game, and there's a guy on this one team who has flaming red hair, just a real carrot top. And they mentioned he was from Georgia. And my mind said, I didn't know people from Georgia had red hair. <laughs> it's like, where the hell did that come from? It's, 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 it's not that I consciously thought that, but it's like, oh, how odd. But to be aware of that and to say, where did that come from? And to have that one little innocuous idea be in my mind, but gives, us, gives me pause to go, how many other of those things do we have wandering around in our mind? Ideas that we think are, oh, this is the way it is, and this is just so. And the Buddha said that, what did he say? The world is smothered by craving. We'll get into craving in a bit, like a tangled ball of yarn. The world is, you know, our minds have these these conditioned ideas and we we want things to be a certain way, like a tangled ball of yarn. And in the suttas and the teachings, it talks about this entanglement a lot. So part of what we're doing with this practice is disentangling our mind. I mean, if you think about it, I think you know, those fine gold chains that get tangled up and it's like you almost want to just throw them away and you're like, no, I can't. This is like, I can't just throw this away. But they just get so tangled up. You get so frustrated. But that's kind of what our minds are like. So this this practice supports this 
slowly, slowly, slowly disentangling our minds, disentangling the thoughts, this, this jumble of uh, stuff we've had inserted into our, our, our being, our, our reactions to things. We react to, we react to all our senses, we react to um, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we think in particular ways because of this jumble of stuff that's been, um, that's been collected throughout our lives. And so this practice is about disentangling. It's about knowing what's happening, but we're not enmeshed in it. So the stuff still goes on. We still have experiences. We still, we still interact in the world, but we're not reacting blindly anymore, driven by these wacky ideas of what people are supposed to be or how things should be or how I need them to be so I can be okay. But we can see things clearly and we're not driven by them. So when we begin to disentangle, we begin to have freedom. We begin to have freedom from that reactive, reactive thinking. Um, and Buddhism teaches us that, and I believe this because it's been my experience, everything we have comes through our six senses. I mean, what else is there? There's smell, there's taste, there's touch, there's sight, there's sound, there's thought. Um, and the Buddha even said, the, the Buddha said, the totality of life, there's sight in the eye, there's sound in the ear, there's smell in the nose, there's taste in the tongue, there's sensations in the body, and, and there's objects of the mind, emotions and thoughts in our, in our mind. Anyone describing anything else is not describing anything they know about, which I think is a pretty, it's a pretty interesting statement. It's like if you're talking about anything else, it's not anything you know about. And I think that's kind of why the Buddha never was interested in metaphysical conversations. He's like, it's this, this, this human being in communion with the world around it, which is where we experience our, our pleasure, our, the pleasant, the unpleasant. It's how we interact with the world through these six senses. So anything else is not impacting that. Anything else is not impacting that. And Joseph Goldstein, the wise teacher, said, there are only ever six things happening, those six sensory experiences. There are only ever these six things happening, but our whole life is built in relationship to them. Our whole life is built in relationship to these things. So what happens is we have a moment of contact. We have a moment of contact with one of these sense experiences. We smell something and we're either really it's really pleasant, or it's unpleasant, or it's neither. And if it's pleasant, or for any of these senses, if it's pleasant, we have a tendency to want more. If it's unpleasant, we have a tendency to not want it. And I bet you can all think of something. If you smell a particular type of food, you're either happy or sad. If, you, if, you, if any of you, you hear a song, it can take you years. It can take you decades away. You know, if you have songs that were with a partner of yours and you had your song and then you hear it again, you know, 20 years later, it can bring up joy, it can bring up sadness, especially if that person's no longer in your life. These, 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 sensory, these sensory inputs are incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And when we're not paying attention, we can react to them. 
I have a, I've told this one story a million times. I'll tell it again because for me, it's 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 um, well, it's just racism. I mean, it's all the systemic, all the all the homophobia and patriarchy and racism and misogyny and and Islamophobia and, and anti-Semitism. All that stuff is reactive based on all our sensory perceptions. We see somebody who looks a certain way, therefore we have preconceived notions about them. We hear somebody speaking a particular language or hear a particular accent, we have a reaction based on our conditioning, whatever that is. I was, went to Ralph's today and saw a guy with a MAGA hat on. <laughs> I saw that reaction right there. <laughs> it was like, I was just like, I was like, do I say something? Is it necessary? No. So, but noticing the reaction, I was standing in line, really experiencing a reaction. I was at the African American Museum in Washington at the Smithsonian last summer, and um, there was a guy with a MAGA hat on, and I went, that's an interesting choice. But anyway, um, but we have these reactions. So there's huge things, especially if we've experienced abuse. There can be tremendous traumatic responses. So trauma has a great deal to play with this. And then there can be really mundane things. Like I lived with a guy who dumped me. He left me for a woman from Boston with red hair. So for many years after that, if, if I saw someone, a woman with red hair, it's kind of dicey. And then if she had a Boston accent, it was like, is everything I could do to treat her with, you know, civility. Because it's like, mm, she, she triggered all those reactive responses in me. There was unpleasant, there was the trigger of the memory of the hurt, of the pain. And, and the re reaction was just to come after her. Really unpleasant. So to really see the importance that these things play is, is, is huge. But most of the time we're just kind of oblivious to them. We're oblivious to them. So this, our teaching, the teaching is the mindfulness, start slowing down, start paying attention. We have to recognize the, um, the, uh, the moment by moment experience. And I have written here all over the place, upside down and inside out, felt sense, felt sense, felt sense, which means the direct experience of what we are feeling. Like when I was in the supermarket today and that guy had that hat on in front of me, I could really feel the experience arising in my body. Oh, this is incredibly unpleasant. And what it's, it's like, ooh, the reaction is to say something. And it's like, it might not be the wisest thing to say anything right now. But feeling that, that, that unpleasant experience and the drive to do something about it, because what happens is this um, reactive states of mind cause craving and aversion. And I really like this, um, this craving, this feeling tone, this pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, um, causes the arising of craving. And, and in this, this, uh, this definition of craving is not necessarily wanting, but is a preference. The it causes a preference. We either want it, we want something, or we don't want something. I, I had that experience today, I didn't want that. You know? And if we're not paying attention, a lot of times we react to it. How many times have you flipped somebody off on the road? 
I mean, maybe you haven't, but you've thought about it. It's the not wanting, not wanting him to be there, or not wanting the, the experience you were having? Multiple, <laughs> multiple reactions. <laughs> multiple reactions. A, the nerve of that guy. B, everything it stands for. C, on and on and on and on. So it's just, you know, it's like a chain reaction. And that's what happens. You see something. So that was an eye sense. There was, a, there was a receptor in the eye that saw this, which was then immediately the response was unpleasant. And then it kicked in the, the thinking mind of, what? In Burbank? Really? Of course. That's, that is also the, the delusion that I'm in. It's like, no, I live in Southern California. This doesn't exist. Oh, oh, oh. You know, that delusion. And so to, to see clearly this tangle in the mind and to just, like, not react to it, not get caught up in it, to pay attention to it is really, really important. So it sets up this craving, this preference. It generally, if it's unpleasant, we want it to go away. It's a craving for it to go away. This craving for non-existence, stop. Or if it's pleasant, we want more. Oh, I want that'll, that'll fix it. You know, that'll be good. If this happens then. So we have this craving for becoming. And then what happens, this craving conditions this clinging. We, we hang on to this fixed idea. We create this, 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 this idea starts getting solid, starts getting rigid, and we starts, um, the mind starts taking hold of it. We go, this is the way it needs to be. This person needs to be banished. You know? Or I had to really work on um, recognizing that people with red hair who have Boston accents are not inherently bad people. It's my reaction to them that causes the suffering. And that's what it is. We have to recognize it's our reaction to the thing that causes the suffering. But when we embrace it and we, and we put, it, put it in our minds as part of that tangle, as we wrap it up, with all the rest of the stuff that's in there, and it becomes a solid mass, it's suffering, discontent, unease, dissatisfaction is the result. When we don't get what we want, either for the thing to go away or for us to get more of, of what we're really looking for is, is challenging. I mean, even in this realm, it was really quiet today in here, but for those of you who've been coming for a while, you know it can be not quiet. And I teach, I do a morning meditation on Tuesday, Thursday mornings in Burbank on this, at this yoga studio up from my block. And it seems like for the last few weeks at 7.15 on the dot, their jackhammer starts. So that, that sets up a reaction too. It's like, and as, a, as, a, as the person who's facilitating, it's like the immediate response is, oh, this is a good practice, so that's pleasant. And then it shifts into, okay, enough practice. It can go away now, you know. So it's just, and, it's, and you see the impermanence of it. So you just, you, we can do that with almost everything. A, a lot of times things are neutral. I'm not saying every single thing is pleasant or unpleasant. I think the vast majority of things are neutral. But when they're neutral, we're, we're, we're oblivious to them, and they actually sometimes cause reactions as well. And when we're not paying attention, we just get, get drawn along. So what happens when we're not paying attention, when we're not being mindful and bringing an awareness to our direct experience of what's happening, 
what happens is we give birth to the I, to a, the, this, I love this, we give birth to the person who, the person who, today I was the person who needed no one to ever wear MAGA hats again and that whole thing to be done with. I gave birth to whatever I was giving birth to. Um, I have another, this week I had another, I took another birth. This week I was, um, I went to a show on Tuesday night and um, it was sponsored by Vans, the sneaker company or the shoe company, whatever they call themselves. And it reminded me that when at Against the Stream, right before we closed, I got a box. It was missed. It was, it had our correct address on it, but it, sh it was not for us. We didn't order it. It was a box of six Vans sneakers. And so I ended up taking them home um, and I opened it up. So it didn't, I couldn't figure out who it belonged to. A lot of times we got deliveries for down the block, but I couldn't figure out who it belonged to. So there were these six really different, cool sets of sneakers, all the same size. And it happened to be my size. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know Vans fit me because I thought my feet were too wide and I never bothered trying them on, you know, because preconceived ideas. Oh, they don't fit me, so I won't go there. And I'm like, these are really nice. I sent them back. There was a pre, you know, there was a pre, a, a label for returning. So I sent them back because they weren't ours. But the, sh my norm the shoes I like to wear a lot, my slip-ons are getting old and raggy. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to get some Vans. Those feel good. Where can I go to get Vans? Oh, and if I could get the Vans and I could wear them to the show tonight that's sponsored by Vans, and then it'd be really cool. And I'm thinking, I got no time on Tuesday to do anything. <laughs> but there's a van store in the mall up the block, so I can get up there. I'm sure and I'm like, and I gave birth to the person who needed Vans. <laughs> and it become, has this little obsessive quality to it, this, this craving. And then and it stays, that craving stays and becomes clinging. And I suffer around that until I'm able to see it and let go of it. And luckily I was able to see it and let go of it and go, wait a minute, time out. This is not going to, this is not, well, how I like to ask is, the question is, if you do that, if you go up there and buy a pair of those and you'll be disgusted at the price, so you'll probably just walk out of there anyway because I'm sure they're expensive. I have no clue. Um, if you do go and buy one of those, will you live happily ever after? Because that's how I'm behaving. But the answer is never yes to any. And if that, if that jackhammer stops now that I have given birth to the person who does not like the jackhammer, when it ends... Will I live happily ever after? No. I don't, I don't think, I've never had that experience. I've, I've gotten a lot of things I've wanted, and I have, I'm not living happily ever after in the fairy tale sense of the word. So that is what happens. We give birth to these people, and, and, and we'll either let go or not let go. It's got that obsessive quality, and it can be really painful. I know years ago I would get into those things, needing to have something to be, to fit in or that or get the idea moves in and and it doesn't let go it's just like boom. and it's about jobs relationships the way the world needs to be i mean that's part of 
part of this this practice too. And I talked a few weeks ago about being a bodhisattva and thinking in geologic time, re- recognizing that the things we the changes we need to we want to see happen may not happen in our lifetimes. And how do we hold that? Can we hold it lightly? Recognizing that things need to happen, but we'll do what we can, but letting go of the results, the expectation that if I do this, this will be the result. So letting go of that, really seeing that that, um, impetus to move towards the craving, the clinging, taking birth as that, that person, that, that individual who needs a particular thing, and not. This is where that, that great quote from Viktor Frankl, I think, is really appropriate. Um, so for those of you who know him, he's a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And his quote talks, he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. We have, there is a space between stimulus, sensory input, and response. That's exactly what the Buddha was talking about. We have sensory input, and if we pay attention, we can respond rather than this automatic conditioned reaction that we're that tangled mass of yarn in our mind brings us towards. So we pause. We, we come to our present experience and we pause before we take birth as these things all over the place. Um, meditation, this practice of mindfulness, shows us this. We begin to see the clinging. And Ajahn Chah says that... Um, you know, a lot of times when we see clearly what's happening, it dissipates. A lot of times that happens. It's like, you know, the teaching when the Buddha said, I see you, Mara. I see you for what you are. I see what's happening. I see the arising of greed. I see the arising of aversion. I see the arising of delusion. And when we see it, it, it disappears. But uh, Ajahn Chah says, actually 70, 80% of spiritual life is knowing we're clinging but not being able to let go. Anybody ever have that experience? You see clearly what's happening, but you still suffer. So the practices and what supports the practice of letting go is the Eightfold Path, beginning to live your life in a different way. You know, cultivating that clear seeing, cultivating an intention to live with renunciation of letting go of those things that don't serve, and, and cultivating goodwill and kindness. And then the whole sila, the, the integrity, ethical behavior part of the Eightfold Path of how we show up in the world, how we speak, how we, how we um, interact with human beings, how we walk through the world without causing harm and cultivating compassion and kindness and generosity. That's really important. That's, that's really when we... And then the third part of the Eightfold Path of mindfulness, effort, concentration. Putting those all together um, is a path away from this reactivity. It's a way we disentangle this, this ball of yarn in our minds. It's um, really powerful. Um, so we have to really slow down and pay attention.
we have to recognize that things are impermanent. So if we're we're creating this this idea of this will fix it, to recognize that it's not going to fix it. How do we let go? How do we just let go, let go, let go, and practice letting go? Um, that's that's kind of where we that's kind of where we want to get to. Um, the other thing about this is, I talked about uh, guarding the sense doors. Um, one of the things we can do is a stop, and when we experience something, I mean, or come when we have a sensory uh, experience, recognize it for what it is, feel it. You know, especially if things are pleasant or unpleasant, we can sometimes, if we're attuned, have that recognition, that felt sense of if it's pleasant or unpleasant and what's happening. Like today, I had a really visceral response to that person and his hat. Um, The Vans thing, too, I start getting, when I start getting into that place, there, there starts to be a tightness. It may not be, like, unpleasant, but... There's this sense of gotta do, gotta, gotta do, gotta go, you know. Um, so paying attention to that, beginning to pay attention. Then Utejaniya, who's a, a monk from Burma, uh, teacher says, check what's arising at your sense door and how you're relating to it. Is there this craving arising? Ooh, I want that. Shiny. Or is there aversion arising? How do I get rid of this? Begin to really pay attention to that. Um, and Ajahn Chah also says, practice at the heart, because a lot of it's the heart. And I think he's talking about, you know, chitta, the heart mind, that wise heart, seeing clearly and feeling, just really being attuned. And this takes practice. It takes practice. And so um, how we, how we um, work with our senses is when you see something that is unpleasant, or you have some experience that's unpleasant, just pause. Just pause. Count to ten. I suck at that. I never count to ten, especially when it's, they always say count to ten before you speak. I have maybe once, I have twice I've done that in the years and years I've been practicing. <laughs> but it's, I know Ken McLeod, the teacher, used to talk about that. And, um, it's a good goal. I'm not there yet. But I, uh, I don't count to 10, but I pause a lot more than I used to. So I'll, I'll give myself that. Um, recognize the response as it's coming. You know, uh, like bell peppers. That's my favorite. It's like when I smell bell peppers, I immediately go into, oh, I can't eat anything. I'm sad because I don't like bell peppers. And now it's just like, oh, I'm sure I won't starve to death because it starts tripping down that road. I, I, I think one of the most, so we have that with the, the, the senses. When there's um, physical sensation that's unpleasant, our tendency is to fight it, especially when it's unpleasant. You know, if there's pain, we fight against it. Think about when you hit your elbow or you hit your toe. What's the immediate response? We tighten up. We fight against it. This is a really good example. So if the next time that happens, if you can remember to... Let go of that immediate response of fighting, aversion. That's autopilot aversion. Let go of that. (sighs) Breathe and be with the discomfort. That tension, that fighting, 
is an added level of discomfort. And if you can let go of that and just be with the, the elbow, it has a very different flavor. It's painful, but it has a very different experience. And my experience has been it dissipates, or you see it, if it's chronic or really severe, you begin to develop a different relationship with it. And, and, and it's not this rigid, monolithic thing. It actually has some, some fluidity to it. So that's an invitation to not just autopilot fight against something unpleasant. And one of the most important sense doors you must guard against is the mind. That those, 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 the, the stories and the narratives and the voices that you have going pretty much 24-7. If you're not paying attention, you're buying into that stuff. Critical mind, judging mind. That's why I always offer the invitation to be kind to yourselves while you're in practice. And without the judging, anybody in here make a mistake during meditation this afternoon? Yeah, no, even though I said you can't make a mistake, it's funny how we decide we make a mistake anyway. That's the story you want to pay attention to. That's the, the oh, that, who's, whose voice is that? Where did that one get installed? We may not know, but if it causes suffering, if it causes discomfort, I would let it go. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. She called me. She had a really unfortunate experience with her neighbor last week. She was, um, she was um, taking care of her, her neighbor. They live out in a kind of country area, and her neighbor has chickens and goats and animals, um, farming-type animals. And she was uh, feeding them, and she found out her daughter went over in the afternoon and she came running back. She goes, Mom, you got to come over. And she went, and the, the, the place was just littered with chicken bodies because their dog, the other person's, the neighbor's dog, had gotten into the coop or the area in the back and just, and just killed them all and killed the goat and about 15 chickens. And so she felt awful about it. I mean, it wasn't her fault. Um, and she, maybe she left the gate unlatched or something, and she's like, I, she made, she owned up to it. She called her neighbor. She cleaned it up. She's replacing the goat. She feels terrible. She's blah, 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 blah. And she goes, and now I just need, and now the guilt is coming. And I'm like, why can you let go of the guilt? And she goes, but I'm supposed to feel guilty, right? I'm like, why? And she goes, but that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to feel guilty. And I go, if you have a child, she has kids. I said, if your child accidentally breaks something, do you make them feel guilty about it? You know, we don't do that. She was an adult about it. She stood up and she owned up to it and she made amends and she said, I'm really sorry. And she's been calling her neighbor every day saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, nah, you don't get to do that anymore either. It's like, that's not how we do this because that's that, we, that um, we take that whip and we beat ourselves over it. And that's not what this is about. This teaching is about we take accountability. And we're, it's awful. Shit happens in this world. The Buddha said shit happened. I always quote him. I misquote him, but that's the intention. You know, there is, there is suffering. There is pain. There's loss. There's, there's death. There's birth. There's being separated from those we love. That happens. 
Can we be, be, take accountability for our, our, our actions? Yeah. Can we have remorse? Yeah. But that extra level of guilt is just another layer of suffering that is unnecessary. If I had done this, then that wouldn't happen. I should have. Any shoulda, coulda, woulda. Let it go. If only. Let it go. So watch the mind. Watch the stories that have been installed. Really, really see. If you are causing yourself discomfort by the way you talk to yourself, eh, I think that should be a red flag right there. If you feel miserable because of that stuff that's going through your head, eh. this is the part of the spiritual life that Ajahn Chah was right. You know, 70 to 80%. You see you're doing it, but damn, it's hard to let go. And it is hard to let go because this, we've been doing this stuff our whole lives. So dropping this stuff takes intention. That's wise speech. How are you talking to yourself? That's part of the Eightfold Path, talking to yourself wisely. You know, and then these other pieces that, you know, guarding the sense doors. Hi. It's a meditation. Sure. No, no worries. We're, we're almost closed. We're, I mean, we're almost done. So we'll, be, we'll be done in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Um, so, um, also, Thich Nhat Hanh, talks about in the, um, in the fifth precept, the fifth precept, which is in the Eightfold Path too, which is in wise action, is do not ingest um, anything that will lead to heedlessness and toxic things that will lead to heedlessness. And he expounds on that and says we have to be careful of what we ingest. We have to be careful of what we... Would you like to sit down? Over there? That'd be great. Thanks. Um, we have to be careful of what we ingest through all our senses. What are you reading? Are you reading stuff that, that kind of impacts you, sets you off? Are you listening to stuff? I don't listen to the news in the car anymore. I don't need to do that. Are you getting, I mean, how much time are you spending on social media? What does that do to you? It's not the stuff itself. It's all reaction to it that we have to really be cautious about. It's what it does to us. We have to see clearly. We have to not take birth as that person. I mean, last year I had a tremendous amount of anger show up in my life, and it just hung out. And I'm like, I, I tried for the most part not to take birth as that angry person. It's like, it's here. I, don't, I can say there is anger present. That's a wise way to hold the emotions that show up that you can't help. But I did not put it on and say, I am so angry. I did not take birth as that person. So that's the difference. Begin, beginning to see what happens and, and treat it in a different way. Re, respond wisely instead of reacting automatically. So... Um, I love that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about that. Really be, be cautious of, of what you ingest and how you hold it. So using all the senses, not just the, 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 um, what we take and toxicants that we ingest, but what we see, what we listen, um, 
we interact with really wise. So those are my thoughts on guarding the sense doors. So, yeah. What about the, uh, the things like the example you mentioned earlier about the shoes? Things that we can avoid. The lighters, I know that's the first, but before, before, right? We will, we will suffer, but I mean, do you think we should not watch the news? We should not have our car radio on to the news channels? No, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's a really difficult question, and I think we each have to discover it for ourselves. Um, I always go to the start where you are. Um, I don't think you want to disengage from the world, but we can, I can, I know what's going on with the world without having the thing on the radio all the time. Um, I try, I don't need people talking to me 24 hours about one topic. Like they have the talking heads. I think it was when Notre Dame was was burnt a couple of weeks ago. My husband had the TV on with the sound off, and I'd be walking in and out. And it, I start. I don't know what time it started. Let's say eleven o'clock in the morning. And I, you know, I saw so I saw it and I watched it for a bit. And then, you know, I come back six hours later, and they're still showing. And it's like, do we have to have six hours of this? And it's and you know what happens with everything that happens goes on these days and so to find your own way with it and say what makes sense for me in this realm what do I need from this not to disengage and to when you hear about this the shootings today it's like there's you know hold your feelings don't don't we don't turn away from it uh, but be your own judge with what what makes sense. How much can you hold? They, that's where they come. This this talk around skillful means. You know, be skillful with how you interact with the world. That's what Thich Nhat Hanh is talking about here. How do you? And sometimes you just need to go. I need to check out because I need to take care of myself. And it doesn't mean you don't care. I think that's really important. People people think that, oh, if I'm checking out, I don't care, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't mean that you do what you can with what you have, where you are, and the time you have. You have to take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not, it's not of, of any service to anybody. And so I think um, that that that's, that's how I kind of want to pay attention to it. I would say that things we have right now is like this on the single. And on the single it says, may I hold this to you with kindness. Yeah. And that kindness yeah. is not necessarily towards like the perpetrator, although that's the yeah. ultimate goal. Right. The first goal is just holding with kindness whatever it is that's arising mm -hmm. and just realizing that like you said, if I need to check out right now, that maybe that's the kindest thing I can do for myself mm -hmm. so that I can take the next step and then try to have kindness for you know for the people who were harmed for the right. and ultimately for the people who were suffering enough to do something as right. horrendous as that was. Right. But I can't start with the no. horrendous people. I'm not there yet. You don't start with the horrendous people.
that the the that I'm gonna I'm gonna say this story again. I probably sound like a broken record, but I was I was in the presence of the Reverend Jim Lawson a few weeks ago, who is the man who taught nonviolence to the he worked with Martin Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement back in the fifties and early sixties. And before they sat down at any lunch counters in the South, they had two years of nonviolence training. And it was this Reverend Jim Lawson who taught them nonviolence. And I first heard about him in John Lewis's memoir. John Lewis is the, the um, congressman from the Atlanta area who is, who was at the forefront of everything. He was a freedom writer. He was at the march. He was at the counters in, in Nashville, the sit first sit down. Uh, um, and he talks about in his memoir, it's this amazing piece. And he, and he credits Jim Lawson for changing his life. Um, he said that when, I think it was Selma, I keep having to, I keep saying, I'm going to go look it up. When he was, they were crossing the bridge in Selma, Alabama, and those guys were waiting on the other side with baseball bats, and he got slammed over the head, he said it took everything he had to find the humanity in that person that was going to hit him over the head, to find the compassion. But that's after years of work on this. So that takes, it takes, um, it takes, a lot of work and so you but like Leslie said you don't start there you start wherever you are and if you can only take a little bit because we all have our own background we people people have experienced a tremendous amount of trauma in their lives and they may not be able to handle anything and it's not because they they're wusses it's because of of the triggering that they experience so Everyone finds um, their own path, and so that you have to you have to find what's wise for you and how you can hold this. I, th- I think that that for me is is the most important thing, and 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 it's the kindest thing for ourselves and for others. It's it's we don't want any of the, any of the things we do to create more suffering. There's going to be pain, and we open to that reality of of the world. But we don't exacerbate it or intensify it. Any, any other questions or comments? I was going to break into groups, but there we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Running out of time. So, we escaped again. <laughs>